Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. This is Robert Aducci, and I'm here with our guest, Gary Watkins. Uh, today, Wayne has not been able to join us. This is going to be an episode all about City State of Tear and Walter Bass. Walter Bass was a friend of mine, and he was also the author of The City State of Tear, The Complete Gladiator's Handbook, and he was a contributor to The Black Spine Dark Sun Adventure, as well as he, uh, as well as the Dark Sun Monsters Compendium, he contributed to, and the Gladiator's Handbook. Yeah, yeah, Gladiator's Handbook. Yeah, he also worked on some non-Dark Sun content, such as uh, Night Watch in the Living City and uh, Treasures of Greyhawk, and he was also possibly uncredited in Terrors Beyond Tear, but we'll talk about that later. But uh, Walter, he passed on June first, twenty nineteen, after a uh, a battle with cancer, and. Uh, I had actually learned about him and his cancer when we had, just after we had interviewed Bill Slavicsek, I thought, hey, I know Walter, I can, I can call him and I can, you know, get him on, on the horn for this show. And, and that's when I kind of heard that he had throat cancer and he had to have his tongue taken out. So obviously that wasn't going to work. Um, and I feel real bad about not reaching to, you know, reaching out to him sooner to get sort of his unique perspective on Dark Sun and his work and contributions to it. But I'm really glad that we have our guests on today to talk about him and to talk about this unique kind of aspect of Darkson history that a lot of people don't know about. And so uh, I'd like to introduce Gary Watkins. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. So Gary's a friend of mine as well. And uh, I met Gary, I think, separately from Walter, but met both of them in Denver. And Gary has written several polyhedron articles, um, some RPGA tournament adventures and contributed to a few other products, including the Kobold Nomicon for, for third edition. So have you written anything since the Kobold Nomicon in third edition? Oh, mostly fiction. Not too much in the gaming realm. I did a one-page dungeon. That was one of the contest winners when they did that. And mm-hmm. um, I contributed to a magical medley for the fudge system. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. So if you will, you know, if people have the City State of Tear book and they want to turn to the cover page there, you'll notice that it says special thanks to Gary W. Watkins, although that is a mis <laughs> a, a misprint. It should be Gary S. Watkins, but thanks to Gary Watkins for his invaluable help. So you're mentioned in this book, Gary. What is your what's your connection to Dark Sun? What's your connection with the City State of Tear book? I was the co-author with Walter. I was kind of a last minute addition. Originally, Walter had another co-writer that he was going to work with, but that guy unfortunately passed away in a car accident. And so he asked me to help out after he was getting started. And so we jumped right in and did it. But it was the first time I'd done anything with Dark Sun. So it was quite a a learning experience for us both. Yeah, so... Also in the, uh, you know, on that cover page, it says dedicated to the memory of Curtis Scott. And I, d- I did some, a, a little bit of research into that. And Curtis wrote some, some of the stuff for City State of Tear, or sorry, City State of Nibine, um in the Ivory Triangle mm-hmm. box set. And, and apparently he was supposed to work on this with Walter. And unfortunately, he, um, he was in a car accident on the way to Gen Con. And, uh, you know, during the time that they were trying to write this. So that's unfortunate. And, you know, going back to how, how Walter asked you to, to write on this. I have back in the, you know, back several years ago, Walter gave me some three and a half inch discs and mm-hmm. uh, cause I had this USB uh, disc reader to use them. And so he said, anything I could find on there, I could keep that. I wanted to keep, you know, the dark sun stuff and whatnot. 
but he wanted everything else. So I, I went on there and I grabbed, he gave me about a dozen discs, grabbed all the stuff off of there and, you know, sent him the digital files. And on there was just a treasure trove of old Dark Sun stuff, including his turnovers. So the things that he that he had printed out and sent, and then obviously he, he had discs at the time. So this was like, you know, mid to late 90s. And he had, so he had the discs and these turnover files, and it's exactly what he would have turned over, what he would have printed out. Unfortunately, the only thing that didn't include was was his maps. I know he drew several maps, so I, I would have liked to see those, but uh, there was nothing like that because you know back then it was difficult to do uh, stuff digitally. But he, you know, in in those files, there's a lot of uh, really interesting things which we're going to talk about that's different from the um, the actual book. But before we get to that, let's talk about Walter a little more. And how did you how did you meet Walter, Gary? I met Walter uh, in the late 80s. I was going to the local conventions, and Walter was the regional RPGA rep. So he worked with the convention organizers and got them prize support, and he would almost always run an adventure at one of the conventions and you know, was always willing to, to pitch in and help out. And so you know, I would write adventures for the conventions too. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, uh, a bunch of us, like nine of us, formed the the Bencon convention uh we were on the board and so every Bencon I would write in an adventure that we would run there and Walter would usually have something for us too and so we got to know each other through that and then we worked together on an adventure called Runefire that ended up being pretty popular we ran it at our local conventions and then the RPGA had it and I th- think they used it for like the one of the opens or one of the Gen Con events. Cool. And then it ran at a couple other big ones like Origins and Dragon Con. And they ended up publishing a uh, an abridged version in one of the polyhedrons after that. So it was pretty cool. Nice. So that kind of started, started your friendship there? Yep. And it was my work on Runefire that convinced him that I was the guy he wanted to work on the Dark Sun one with. Because he could have gotten a more experienced writer than me, but <laughs> he he liked what I'd done and he'd seen some of my other stuff, and so he said, you know, I think we'll work well together. And I, you want to do it? And I said, oh hell yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. And uh, speaking of that, so part of uh, some of the documents that were on those discs was a letter that he had sent to Dory Watry, who was the project coordinator at TSR, and it states. Because of the time constraints on this project, finishing Gladiators, I've hired a second individual to assist me. His name is Gary Watkins. I've spoken with Bruce Hurd on the subject, and his major concern was that the product be delivered on a timely fashion. Gary's been previously published in Polyhedron and won several writing awards. I wanted to make you aware of his involvement. So so that's cool. You know, He obviously told them that you were a part of this, but your name didn't end up on the book. And I have to imagine that's, you know, kind of for contract reasons, they'd already contracted him to write it. Do you have anything else uh, kind of behind the scenes about that? Yeah, it really wasn't an issue. We didn't think about it while we were working. Mm -hmm. You know, he let me know. I've talked to Tori and or Dory and um, let her know that you're working on it. And they're cool with that. Let's just get to work. And it wasn't until it actually came out that he told me that, you know, I have some bad news for you, Gary. And, you know, I tried to get him to do this, but they wouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. it was just because I wasn't on the contract. So they weren't going to mm-hmm. give me the billing on that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. And that's amazing. Like, you know, that's that's sort of one of those secrets like that, you know, most people probably don't know about about this. I mean, I consider myself like a super fan and I didn't know until, you know, until I'd actually met you and Walter about that story. So Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And so thank you. Thank you for, you know, for working on it. I met Walter for the first time in 2014 at Tacticon, which is a local Denver convention. And I was there and I was selling stuff like I'd, I'd, you know, was selling used RPG stuff and I had a bunch of Dark Sun stuff. And uh, I just saw this guy kind of walk up to, uh, you know, to my shelves and kind of browse the Dark Sun stuff. And I just said, hey, are you looking for anything specifically? And he's a guy who just wanted to see if you had something. And he pulled out the City State of Tear book that I had. And I said, oh, that's a good one. It's one of my favorites. And he says, oh, I'm glad you like it because uh, I wrote it. <laughs> and, and, you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of starstruck by that. And, uh, and that's kind of what started my friendship with Walter. Uh, Walter played in some of my Dark Sun games since then. And he was just a really great guy. So I was really, really sad to, to hear that he passed. And kind of in honor of that, I'm running. Uh, so I, I run a Patreon and part of that is running some Dark Sun games. And we just wrapped up one of the campaigns. So this next campaign that I'm running, which we actually just started this week, is going to be a City State of Tier campaign. So I'm excited, excited to run that, excited to really delve into this book again and start running it for people. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So how much of the book would you say you wrote? You know, did you, do you think you wrote half of the book or like what? Was there specific sections that you wrote of it? No, pretty much half. We, we worked through it a, a section at a time. And what we would do is we, we both had day jobs. And so we would get together at Walt's place after work. I think it was like every day except for Sunday, you know, he felt like I needed to have some time with my family. So I would, <laughs> I would work on it at home on that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'd still trade notes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we just kind of churned it out and we went back and rewrote stuff and added stuff and took stuff out. People have this idea that when you sit down and write a, a book like this or a module or whatever, that it's like a start to finish thing, very ordered and planned and structured. And in a perfect world, it would be. But we actually went through four different editors in the three months that we were working on this. And wow. every time we got a new one, they would look at what we'd already done, tell us what they liked, what they didn't like, what they wanted to keep, what they wanted to get rid of, what new directions they wanted us to go in. And so mm-hmm. we were constantly having to revise and change and add things as we went. It was a little confusing at times. And mm-hmm. as a result, we we ended up writing a lot more than ended up getting published. And it was kind of very revisited in a very circular iterative process because of that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I was saying that I had, you know, I have a bunch of files that, that Walter gave me. Do you think that you have any of that, that kind of stuff? Any of that, no, those cutting food I had it on my 286 computer and some floppies. <laughs> sure. And uh, they didn't last for more than a couple of years after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Interesting. So, you know, we're going to we're going to kind of go through the book here and we'll kind of talk about little sections. If there's anything that pops into your mind, you know, just feel free to jump in or feel free to circle around if I keep on or whatever. So I, w- I want to hear everything you have to say. So so the city state of tear is a book that takes place in the timeline right after kind of Kalak dies, where the city is kind of going through 
its paces, trying to figure out what it is um, with the death of Kalak and with the sorcerer, uh, sorry, with the Templars kind of not having power and kind of who, who gets power. And, and it goes through, you know, talks about the council and it talks about locations and, and the iron mines, like just everything that you would want to know kind of about the city, city state it's here. So that's what we're working with. It's number, it's the, the code for it is DSS1 accessory. And then the TSR's code is 2420. Looks like it was 1095 when it came out. And then it, uh, it's a, a 95 page book, 96 if you count the last page, which is an ad. And it comes with a fold out map of the Golden Tower. There was already a map of tier that came with uh, the box set. So I figured they didn't want to reprint that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. There's eight chapters. And we'll just kind of start from the beginning. So, you know, like a lot of a lot of the Dark Sun products, it includes a little story at the beginning. And the fiction was really part of Dark Sun. You know, every every book kind of had fiction in it, whether it was a short story or just an introduction. Do you remember anything about the um, about the introduction? Well, there's a few things. Originally, the introduction was a longer longer narrative, and it got cut because they said we they, they wanted to save room for other more game related stuff mm-hmm. so at the time we were trying to you know kind of immerse ourselves in the whole dark sun world that we had access to mm-hmm. so walter had all the the previously published modules and stuff and we would we'd gone through them and read them all and looked for little details and references that we could mm-hmm. tie into we had the the novels that had been published, you know, Troy's stuff. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Simon Hawk was actually writing his series. And so we were getting some of the early cuts of that too. And we were trying to combine all this stuff to really make sure that tier fit the bigger structure and picture of Athos, but also to try to have a few little tie-ins or Easter eggs types of things. And in the process, we kind of uncovered some some funny little things. I think I told you this story before, but I'll, I'll mention it here. Mm-hmm. When we were looking through the Veiled Alliance module and, and highlighting things and stuff, in one of the cities listed in there, under their exports, they had various agricultural goods. And included in the list of livestock were rabbits and turkeys, <laughs> which shouldn't exist on Tier or on Athos. Yeah. And when we called Tim Brown and told him about it, he freaked out. He, he couldn't believe it. He kept screaming and going on about it. And, and Walter <laughs> thought it was hilarious. He, he wouldn't stop cackling. He thought it was just so funny. But nice. <laughs> um, yeah, we tried to pull from a lot of sources. And in fact, we even used real word sources to try to make sure that we weren't violating any natural laws or science or anything so like when we talked about the iron mines i had done some research into like medieval mining and found some information about how some of the mines were also very heavily contaminated if you will with with arsenic deposits Mm -hmm. so the miners were slowly poisoning themselves digging out the iron and so we kind of tied like that in to a little bit of our yeah, history, yeah. just to give it a little authenticity. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember reading that. Nice, that's, that's interesting. So talking about the introduction, it looks like compared to what Walter turned over, there were 
a few paragraphs cut out, one at the end and one kind of in the middle. And uh, I'm going to take all these notes and I'm going to post them on athis.org. So everything that we find that's different, I'm going to go ahead and post all this stuff just so you know you can see a couple of the little details. So if anybody's, anyone's interested in, in what's different from the original turnover, we'll, we'll have that for you. One of the things in the about this supplement, it was, you know, there were some differences in there. One of the things they cut that I thought was was super cool is a line that says, remember to watch your back or or your mantle of freedom may soon become a funeral shroud. I really liked that line mm-hmm. and was uh, was dismayed that they took it out. <laughs> yeah, it was one of my lines. I'm glad you liked it. Nice, nice. <laughs> so in chapter one, chapter one talks about kind of life and tear, kind of gives a history, a timeline, talks about the government, talks about different crime and punishment and trade and commerce and then water. So it's a lot of really good information. It tells who the major Templars are, kind of talks about the city guard, talks about what kind of you know violence and crime there is, what kind of uh, trade and commerce, how the water situation works. So it's a pretty basic thing, but it's all really great information. And, and this is the kind of thing that I love about Dark Sun because it's just so detailed. And unfortunately, nowadays, we're never, you're never going to get this from TSR again, or from Wizards of the Coast again. They're never going to do anything this detailed. That being said, once they ever release Dark Sun to the, the DMs Guild, you know, that'll be for, for us super fans to kind of write this sort of material. So it'll still be there. It just won't be completely official, maybe. But that's the stuff that I really, really love about Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. On page six, there's a quote from Dotemal Payne, the former necromancer to King Kallak. And so he's just mentioned a couple times in this book. Uh, he's also mentioned originally in the Complete Gladiators Handbook, which I think came out before this. Mm-hmm. It did. And so Walter would have created that character. As far as I know, it was never never in any other products. Was there any backstory about this character that, that you're aware of? I remember Walter mentioning him, and I he kind of described him to me, but he didn't go into a whole lot about the backstory, just really enjoyed the character and mm-hmm. wanted to use him because he thought he was a good fit. But I didn't know. I didn't get a history or anything of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only reason I mention that is because Peter Nuttle, one of the uh, old fans, old super fans called Brax, he wrote a lot of stuff for Athos.org and he wrote Faces of Forgotten North, which is a supplement about the North, or he, he uh, co-wrote it. I think there's a few writers on that. And he takes Don't Malpain and he makes him basically a fledgling dragon up in the north. So he really used used that character quite a bit. So it's a cool character. I'm definitely going to use him in my new Tyrion Patreon game. So let's move on. Uh, well, is there anything else uh, you know of, of interest that you can remember from that chapter? Just that we were kind of feeling our way along. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of hard and fast directions. We had like general chapter titles. Some, you know, we want you to cover these areas and as i said that changed along the way from time to time so this first chapter was just kind of to give people a, a more visual you know an idea of what the city is like on first overview before you get into the dirty little cracks and crevices and shadowy places that you don't want to look too closely into mm-hmm. cool well, we'll move on here to chapter two. So chapter two is the environs of Tyr. It's only about four page, and it really talks about 
the iron mines. There's a map for the iron mines. And then it talks about uh, local agriculture. One of the things that was cut from the book apparently was an area to the west called the Poison Land. At least the locals call it the Poison Land. It was like there's a huge hedge of this deadly anor plants with smoke brush that encircles the perimeter of the lower node of the walled city. So it's kind of outside of the outside of the main city and it looks like this was cut out. And so with it, these anor plants, which would have been in there, there was some azure burgrass, which was talked about and, and the, the stats of that were given. But again, those were cut out. So mm-hmm. again, we will post those for everybody to check out. So that was uh, interesting. That little bit, it's like one paragraph was cut out. And also, I, and I don't really know why it was cut out because it looks like there was enough room, but who knows why. Also of interest at the very end of the chapter, there's like native farming plants of the tier region. And it gives like nine different plants, some of which I'm sure you guys made up. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I noted that was cut was wheat. Wheat was in Walter's original file, but it was cut out mm-hmm. of this. I mean, cotton is here, so I would say that it was just cut because it's mundane, but I just thought that was interesting. Well, we were trying to come up with plants and crops that would make sense given the arid, severe environment that they were in. Sure. And we had talked about like some special cactus mm-hmm. where it only bloomed every year or seven years or something yeah and they would retrieve the flowers and make a a, you know delicate wine with it and stuff like that but part of that environs and and the reason for the plants was because we were talking about it and it's like well if the defilers need to you know drain these things to power their spells they don't want to be sucking it out of their population all the time so they need to have some sort of plants around. And what would make more sense than, you know, a def- defensive hedge that could, you know, serve as a deterrent against attackers as well as fuel the spells as needed. So the next chapter is uh, chapter three, and it it is really the city of Tyr. So it kind of goes section by section over the city. It talks about the culture, but then it gets into the different districts of the city and the details about them. And it's about 28 pages. So it's a, it's a good amount in this chapter. There were several cuts. One is like a a business. So there's kind of small businesses kind of sprinkled throughout uh, in the different sections. Sometimes they have, you know, NPCs and whatnot with them. So in this one, Coral's exterminating service got cut, which is run by Coral Marlick, a male dwarf thief, um, so again, we'll we'll kind of put this in a in a document for every everyone to look at. But uh, it's interesting; kind of seems somewhat random that that would get cut. I couldn't see any any reason why it was it was cut. Do you have any any thoughts on Coral? Not specifically. When the editors got the materials, they didn't always share what what it was like after they made their changes. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, would kind of tell us in broad strokes, yeah, I like this. We need a little more detail about that. You know, in moving forward, add this in your list because you don't have it type of thing. Uh-huh. And so they had different ideas about what they wanted. And so sometimes, you know, cuts were made and we weren't consulted or one of them would like, like the businesses and they're like oh yeah we want plenty of those and the other one's like mm-hmm. oh there's too much we, we're going to cut some of that out and i want you to <laughs> put in more of this other 
and so it was a constantly moving target. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's crazy. So talking about what businesses were cut, it looks like there was a couple that were in another, I don't know if they were in a um, another file I had or where they were, but there's numbers. So it looks like they were kind of maybe added later, but it was something called uh, Cutter's Chance. It was a shop that caters to gamblers with a proprietor. His name was Cutter. Then there was The Dead, which was a mortuary catered to those who were dead and dying. And it was run by some guy named Dothur, who guards his identity by donning a full face leather mask while working. Then there was the Runnings Dolls, and they were not really a business, but it was 10 to 15 youths of various races that made up the Runnings Dolls. They were they basically hired themselves out as runners and couriers and heralds. So cool stuff. We'll definitely talk about that more. Uh, under Shadow Square, there was an establishment called The Weeping Widow, if you if you look in the book, that's what you'll find, the Weeping Widow. But the turnover document says the Weeping Wyvern. And I think that's one of the changes. I think I could see why they did it. It basically talked about how that's where people would go after after a gladiator game. So it seems like that's that one sort of makes sense a little bit. You know, when the gladiators mm-hmm. die, their widow might might go to that place. So that's interesting. Right. One of the cool things that I like about this is it talked about the arena briefly in in that chapter. And it kind of gives some combatants for the arena, as well as cre- creature combatants and single combatants. So kind of give you give you something to fight, which was I thought was cool. Well, you know, gamers like good gladiatorial matches, and so you want to give them a little something to work with. For sure, for sure. There's also a section on Calic Ziggurat, which I thought was actually pretty light. It's literally like five or six paragraphs, and I thought it would be more. You know, that seems like it's something that would be of interest. It's such a large part of the city. Do you have any recollection of that? I seem to recall that they didn't want us to get too much detail into it because they were thinking about a possible adventure in tier that, and they said, you know, that would be where more detail would come in. Mm. They didn't feel like the, the players or the characters would be involved with the ziggurat a whole lot as mm-hmm. opposed to other parts. So they didn't want a whole lot of material for it. Gotcha. Interesting. I wonder whatever happened to that adventure. <laughs> the next chapter is the Golden City, and this is where you know where where the king lives. Uh, it's where all the Templars live, where you'll find the high bureaus, the king's gardens, the Templar quarters, the observation tower, the tower bridge, and the golden tower. So this is where you know the the new map of the city comes in, and it kind of gives more details about about these sections. It's a pretty pretty light chapter. Only about uh, four or five pages here. One of the sections cut talks about, which uh, kind of talks about the inner circle, which is kind of the walls right around the inner circle of the of the Golden City. Just kind of gives a couple of details, you know, not a whole lot. So I can kind of see why they, they cut it a little bit for space, but uh, nothing super interesting, but we will include those in the notes. Can you uh, recall anything about this chapter, Gary? Not specifically, no. It uh, doesn't stand out a whole lot. Okay. So chapter five is Undertier. And Undertier was, I think, just briefly sort of mentioned in some of the books. And so it was really, you know, and it's also pretty briefly mentioned here. It's only like three pages, four pages. There was one section called the Merchant's Maze that was kind of cut out. And it's mentioned in the book, which is interesting. It's mentioned in the book. But the section detailing it, or the paragraph detailing it, was cut. So 
that's one of those things. I know, I know how that happens. You know, stuff gets cut and then somebody forgets to search for the merchant's maze to go cut all of the mentions about it. So the merchant's maze is, uh, this is a, it was originally the merchant's maze was a walled garden with a hedge maze and a topiary. In Undertier, the garden that was once the place of leisure has become a den of conspiracy and clandestine activities. So that'll be a place where your, you know, where your bards are hanging out. And maybe they already had a place like that, that, you know, they thought was, so maybe they thought it was duplicate, duplicated. What can you, uh, what can you tell us about that chapter? Anything? Nope. Not a lot. Sorry. It's been what? No worries. 30 yeah. Years. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's been 30 years. Yeah. No worries. If you can't remember anything, you know, that's, that's something that's been common. You know, obviously we've, we've talked to Troy and, and Bill Slavicsek and Tim Brown. And like you said, it's been 30 years. So I definitely don't expect anyone to guarantee that they'll remember something. Going back to more cool random encounters here. There's some random encounters for the under tier section, which is cool. I always like these little random encounter tables. They make you kind of think of, you know, think of things that are going to be down there. So it's, you know, what you guys were thinking of, but also just sort of ideas that, you know, that, you know, you can make a whole adventure just from one of these random encounters, which is what I love. Yeah, I like that too. And I think if you put a little thought into it, you can really plant some seeds for the players to expand on because nobody buys um, a module or a supplement and feels like it's 100% self-contained and I'm just going to have everything I need right here. Everybody likes to add their own little flourish or they'll have a party who will go off on a tangent. And so you need some little suggestive encounters or other places that maybe aren't the primary focus but are available to kind of take care of those odd little creative impulses that the DM might have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the next section is chapter six, and it's all about uh, psionics, magic, and religion. And here it talks about, uh, you know, psionics, the order, magic, and religion, as, as I just said. Uh, so psionics uh, talks about the school of thought, which is where people go to, to learn psionics and in tier and then it gives um some npcs for that there's like a four five npcs and then there's a, a new a new psionic called teleport trace yep i came up with teleport trace and mm -hmm. uh thought it was a lot of fun but they decided that they were weren't going to put it in there and at the time they said we're going to be doing a psionics book like the complete psionics or something like that and they said would you mind if we put it in there and i said no, use it however you want. That's fine. It's better than having it, you know, just lost. Mm -hmm. But um, I thought it was a fun little uh, psionic discipline, and I kind of hated to see it go. Well, it looks like it actually was in here. So maybe they said they were going to cut it, but it is in here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that'll, that's interesting. I wonder if it's in the will and the way. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that. So the next section is the order and the order. The order is basically a bunch of really, really super high level, you know, twentieth level and up psionicists all throughout, all throughout Athens. You know, they're kind of in every in every city state. They're sort of like a secret society of psionics who will kind of bust you if you're using psionics you shouldn't be using, kind of thing. And so, one of the characters that was cut is the a male Thrykreen psionicist, and uh, his name <laughs> is. Uh, Tiskukskit. <laughs> it's it's a it's really complicated as far as Thrykreen go. <laughs> so that's a an NPC we'll we'll throw in there. 
but that was the only thing that I noticed that was cut from this chapter. The next section is, you know, talking about the Veiled Alliance, and actually there's no NPCs in this because it, it, it gives mention of um, of the Veiled Alliance supplement, so that's where those major NPCs will be listed. And then in Religion, it talks about some of the Earth, Air, Fire, and Water stuff. It also talks about a couple of local druids, and it gives their stats, and then that's the end of that chapter. After that, we move on to to Chapter 7. Well, is there anything else in Chapter 6 that you can recall besides that sonic power no not specifically anything that stood out Mm -hmm. so moving on chapter seven is all about personalities um it looks like it's about uh, 11 pages and that's where you're going to get our first i think it was our first look at you know the major npcs so we see um you know we see aegis we see banther the original uh the arena manager but there's also kind of smaller npcs azer lirin a fourth level cyanesis templar a preserver couple preservers it gives stats for Kalak in case you wanted to run it you know before Kalak's death or I suppose you know if if you wanted to say that Kalak wasn't really dead you could use his stats mm-hmm. uh give stats for Neva Rikus Sidira Sidira will be noted as a 10th level preserver slash defiler so she's both <laughs> Master Sintha Timor the Templar Tithian King uh Counselor Churvath and then there are several that are cut, one of which is Ganon. So he was originally mentioned in uh, in the Prism Pentad. He was a, a half-giant gladiator. So this, mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll give the stats for him. And then really of interest, I was super <laughs> I was super stoked to find this one. And it's Catandio. So Catandio was Sadira's teacher. And the reason it's especially of interest is because in the Psionic Artifacts of Athos book, Catandio was mistakenly called a halfling. And as a result, the art in that book for Catandio's cane is this halfling holding a cane. And that was always like a big like WTF moment for fans. Like, why is Catandio a halfling here? Mm. And apparently it was, you know, some art, you know, they got the art and then they did the description. And then, I don't know, an editor just missed it or whatever. And so it was always, you know, something that's kind of like, oh, that goes against, you know, goes against the canon. And I can't help but think that if Catandio was included in this book as a human mage, then he would have been, you know, correctly identified in this later book. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But stuff falls through the cracks yep, yep, in yep. spite of your best efforts. Yeah, yeah. So and that's uh, we know, one of the reasons I love, you know, I was really, really grateful to Walter for getting me these files so that we could, you know, see this kind of stuff. It's super interesting. Also cut out was Sacha and Wyan. So Sacha and Wyan were two of the, uh, these former champions of Rajat that were, they had their heads cut off and they were made to, to kind of be undead and they helped Tithian in the books. And so it's really cool that the, the stats are pretty basic here, but it gives a little background and stuff that we've never seen before. So really interesting stuff. Another thing, it gives uh, the stats for Senator Trevelis Minther, which he's he's mentioned you know several times in the book. So we got stats for him. Got have stats for Senator Turax, again with some of his background and what. Uh, Verassi of Minther, a human trader, Senator Vildine Taranthi, and so there so there are you know five or six NPCs that were cut from this section, probably for length. But I'm excited to to use them in uh, in my game coming up. Do you have any comments uh, about that chapter? Any NPCs or anything? Just that we 
when we were working on Athos, you know, you had Nibbene and a couple other of the books out, but Athos was really the first one that was so focused on one city. And so wherever we found references to Tyr in the, the novels or the other supplements or anything like that, mm-hmm. we wanted to try mm-hmm. to pull those in and flesh them out if we could nice. to not only provide material for our book, but also to kind of tie it more closely in with the little web of other books that had come out. Mm-hmm. But it was still very formative. Dark Sun was still a very young world. And, you know, they had the, the, the first series of books out as far as the novels and three or four supplements. But there wasn't a whole lot of canon or established history for it. It was kind of, you know, vaguely mentioned here and there in generalization. So we tried to anchor it with these references whenever we could. When we had something more tangible to work with, we wanted to use it. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I always loved, you know, reading stuff like that, you know, reading the stats of the characters. So was there was there a lot of feedback on that when you guys made, you know, these major characters that are, you know, that are the major part of the stories and the novels, you know, statting out Aegis and Rikus and Neva. Did you guys go over those a lot? You know, was that something that the editors asked you to change a bunch? Or do you recall anything about those? There was some uncertainty how to handle them because at least one of the editors didn't want to step on Troy's toes. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I don't know if you're the one that should be, you know, detailing these. And later on, when we talk about the monsters, I'll bring that up again. But some again, it was which editor you were talking to at the time, whether they thought, oh, man, that's cool and really useful or no, I don't think we're going to use that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard to give you a, a straight answer with that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So. We'll move on to chapter eight. So chapter eight is campaigning in tier. This is uh, like a 14, 14 page chapter. I think we'll have a lot to talk about in this chapter. It looks like there was some interesting changes here. So the first thing is that there's a new kit in this and the kit is a Dracoman and the Dracoman was sort of like a guide to tier. Do you, what do you remember about the Dracoman? Not a lot. No, because, I... you know, once we finished one section, we were moving on to the next one, and you didn't have a lot of time to really dwell on something because you had to kind of get your mindset mm-hmm. on, okay, we're doing stat blocks for this, or we're coming up with, you know, adventure hooks, or we need more detail about this aspect of the city. So I don't remember spending a whole lot of time on this. I think this was mostly Walter's work on the okay. Dracoman kit. Sure. So one of the things that I thought was super interesting about the files that I got, and I had to go back and check it a couple of times just to make sure I was looking at it right, is in the book, the printed book, it says Dracoman, D-R-A-Q-O-M-A-N. So it's Dracoman. In the book, it's Dragoman. It's D-R, or I'm sorry, in the, in the, on the files, the digital files, it's D-R-A-G-O-M-A-N. So it's Dragoman. So I just thought that was interesting you know, somebody must have changed it because they liked the way it sounded or they didn't want to have, to have anything to do with dragons. Do you remember anything about the naming, like why it was named that? Yeah, I think they came back and said, we don't want them confusing this with anything with the dragons. So we're going to change that a little bit. 
Interesting. And we were like, okay, that's fairly cosmetic. We're not going to sweat that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the other things in here, right before that section, it talks about the character kits and talks about how, like, if you had, it takes the kits from all of the complete books and then it kind of like says, like, would they be in Dark Sun or not? And how, if they are, like, how would you modify them? So that's kind of interesting. Kits were sort of like backgrounds, but also more than that from from back in the day. One of the things that looking in the files that was also cut was that there was another another kit that was cut out of here, and it was the Tyrion Templar kit. Some a funny story about that is when I read that in Walter's stuff, and I was like, oh, I I remember a Tyrion Templar kit. Where was the Tyrion Templar kit? So I searched all of my Dark Sun stuff. And I couldn't find it. I'm like, what the heck? I was like, I know I remember this being a thing. And so I Googled it on, you know, I was Googling it and I found it. I was like, sweet. Okay. So I go look at it and uh, it's in the Dark Sun netbook from a long time ago. So it was an unofficial thing. You know, it wasn't in any of the official books, but I wanted to go check it out. So I, I look at it and I'm, and I'm like, oh, who wrote this? <laughs> and I look and I actually wrote it back in the 90s, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, like I could not, I did not remember that I wrote it. But looking at the comparative to that, to what I did, they're pretty, pretty similar, which is, uh, which made me feel pretty good that, that I was, I was pretty on point. There was a couple small, small differences, but not much. So that was, that was interesting. So we will put the Tyrion Templar kit up in the notes as well. So there was a section about cross world campaign characters, like a one paragraph that was cut. We'll put that in the notes. And the next section is like an adventures suggestion. And there are um, nine adventures. And in the final, um, or in the, the turnover document that I got, there were 10 adventures. So the 10th adventure is called Stranger Things. And it says, uh, strange creatures alien to Athos have appeared on tier, in tier on several occasions in the last few weeks. No one seems to know whence they came or how they got to tier. Now, to be fair, I can imagine the reason this was cut was because the creature that was included in this was a beholder. And beholders didn't really exist on Dark Sun, so I'm pretty sure that's why that one was cut. Do you remember anything about that, or about it talks about it getting cut, or anything like that? I remember having a discussion, and they wanted to keep the flavor of Dark Sun undiluted, mm -hmm. and they felt like if you start, if you open the door a little bit to let other players know that. Oh, you can sneak these other creatures in here that it's going to kind of take away from the uniqueness of Athos. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because then later with Black Spine, there was a lot of that. You know, there was Gith Yankee in there. There was demons. There was a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff. Uh, it would have been interesting to hear Walter's, you know, Walter's thoughts on that, <laughs> given that he wrote some yeah. of that stuff. <laughs> well, like I said, it really depends on who your editor was at the time because they had a lot of creative control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they were very assertive sometimes in what they wanted and didn't want. And it might have been different than what the previous one had told you. So you had to be flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it looks like also in the turn of a copy, there were, there were different adventures. So... It looks like some of the ones that were included were added later. And here are a few that got cut out. So there was an arena training one that talked about talked about that, just like about two paragraphs. There was the ziggurat of death. That's mutilated corpses have recently been found in tier. These corpses were first attributed 
to the possibility of a band of renegade halflings or a Thrykreen raiding party. More recently, evidence of a clan of Belgoi has surfaced. And the Belgoi were used as slaves by Kalak during the building of the pyramid. It's possible as many as a dozen were accidentally released with the other slaves following Kalak's death. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Uh, the Vault of Awe, which is a deep in the bowels of Undertier, deeper than the ancient city's ruins, lies the Vault of Awe. So that's a little interesting. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on on Undertier, on what, you know, what the what the history of Tier was? I don't remember specifically what we discussed about Undertier. I wanted to do more with it, but we didn't we didn't get to. We were you know busy with the other parts, and they didn't seem to be as hot for it as they were for some of the other pieces. So uh, mm-hmm. we just kept plugging away because we were a little late delivering it and uh, we were under, you know, some pretty serious time constraints when we we're churning out the material. Hmm. Interesting. So that's, that kind of wraps up most of, uh, of the adventures and then it kind of gets into, there's some last words and some encounter tables. And it looks like there were uh, originally included in the, in the turnover documents were, three types of poisonous plants. So I mentioned the Anor plant, the Azure Burgrass, and then there was some golden smoke brush that were cut mm-hmm. out. So those are cool. There's also the Reg and the Miorti. So the Reg and the Miorti are things which people will probably recognize. They are in Terrors Beyond Tier. However, it looks like Walter wasn't credited in Terrors Beyond Tier. And so it looks like they were cut from here and put in that. Do you know if you created those or if Walter created those? Do you remember that? I don't remember. We were both working on different uh, mm-hmm. monsters and stuff. Gotcha. But I do remember we went through and statted out a handful of them from Troy's books. Hmm. And we put a lot of time into them and a lot of detail, and we were very proud of them. And then they said, nope, we're not going to use those. And then, like, the later, the next year, in one of the Dragon magazines, one of the articles was Monsters of Athos by Troy Denning. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember feeling kind of um, dissed by all that. Because <laughs> I really liked the monsters. Did they use your stats? They were Some of them were pretty darn close. But, you know, it, it wasn't just a, a blatant copy. Troy, you know, did flesh them out. But uh-huh. they were, there were a lot of similarities. Ah, uh, well, that's a bummer. <laughs> So that's pretty much the the end of the book. You know, goes last words, and there's some encounter tables, which again are cool. The only thing, you know, now that I'm running a um, campaign set in tier, the only thing I wish this book had would be some city based encounters, uh, some random encounters for the city. So here, there's noble estates, farmlands, scrub plains, and the mine road. So the only thing, the only thing I feel like it's missing are those uh, some city based encounters. Mm-hmm. And then there's a uh, Tyrian trade good cost, goods cost, which is cool. Like it's one of the things I loved about Dune Traders supplement it had like all the trade goods, so you could actually like you know run a trade <laughs> a trade uh, caravan and stuff like that. Which which we did that in some of my games. One of the, one of the NPC or one of the main characters was was a trader, and so they they often made a lot of gold by buying stuff and getting it to other city states, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, there's some tier city maps. So there's some like black and white line maps of both the main city and then the golden 
district, the Golden Tower area. Um, and again, kind of the major places that are noted in the book are in, included in here. And then, you know, given numbers. So you can actually see like the individual city or the individual building on the map that corresponds with each section. Uh, so that was cool. Is there anything you, you remember about the layout of the city or, you know, you know, obviously the, the city city tier was already mapped out for you because it was in the original book. Did you guys mm-hmm. just get to go through all that and just be like, Oh, here's this place. Like, was there any way that, that like how much, how much notes were given to you guys based on the city, like what had done before? Not a lot of notes. I remember that in terms of the maps and the illustrations, we were scrambling. Walt had a friend that he was hoping was going to do the artwork. I won't tell you who it was, but she she didn't do it. And she told him when he went to pick it up, she said, I told you I, I don't do people. <laughs> I just draw other things. Mm. And the maps, we largely created from the maps in the box set and took sections, blew them up, added some details, numbers, and so forth. It was it was kind of um, a little bit of a hack job on the maps. So hmm. we ended up getting Tony DiTerlizzi to do the illustrations. The, um, TSR yeah. assigned him after we sent it in. Uh-huh. And wow, that was a that was a great stroke of luck. But <laughs> right. he wasn't part of it ahead of time. That was just a a nice serendipitous thing. There was one illustration with the uh, close up of the map with the yeah. dagger mm-hmm. marked where they were going to be at you know attacking the trade caravan or whatever. And uh, uh-huh. I provided the rough sketch for that. I came up with the idea for that one, but. That's the only artwork that we can lay claim to in the book. And that's that's interesting. So one of the things that Walter gave me, uh, one of the files was an illustration list. And so as I, you know, as I flipped through the book, I could see those illustrations coming to life. Most of them are, you know, pretty kind of generic, you know, but the one that was more detailed was the map you're talking about. It's called Daria's Plot. And there's a little, the section that that is in is a little section about Daria, who is a, a merchant and it says the, the the description of Daria's plot says quarter page, close up of a map with a dagger plunged into the line between Alteric and Wayless. The hand grasping the dagger bears a ring set with black a black stone oval. Two eyes, dots, look out from the oval, the symbol of House Salaxa. So that's awesome. That was <laughs> that's funny that's that you're saying that's the one that you provided the mm-hmm. sketch of. So <laughs> that's cool. Also of note on that map, when I was looking at it, it doesn't say Alteric. It says Altruck, A-L-T-R-U-C-K. So, <laughs> yeah, that, I never noticed that before until I was looking at it closer. <laughs> so one other thing of interest, there was a file that was called Information Source Files. And so it gave all of the books where you guys all got all your information, some of which, like you said, was like, you know, kind of had some history stuff in there, but also obviously all of the Dark Sun books and adventures that had been out to that point were mentioned slightly. One of the things that I thought was interesting, and I wanted to see if you knew why it was in the list, was number seven. It said the Rock of Brawl Spelljammer module. Can you shed any light as to why that was included as an information source? I vaguely remember seeing it and having him, you know, pulling out the map and talking about it, but I don't remember what it was that he liked about it or wanted to. Uh, work with 
so no, I don't have any details. I but I do remember seeing it in the stack with all the other references we were cannibalizing and highlighting and trying to cross reference. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I couldn't no, I didn't notice any any kind of direct Spelljammer reference. So it'd be interesting if anybody knows if anybody finds any Spelljammer reference, please uh, you know shoot me a, an email to radu at athos.org or send me a Twitter or whatever. So that's pretty much the the bulk of what I had. Are there any other kind of interesting stories or just anything else you can remember about the development of uh, City State of Tear? Nothing really specific. I just remember it was kind of an uh, adrenalized experience for me because Walter had worked with TSR and, and published things before, but I hadn't other than RPGA stuff, so... It was kind mm-hmm. of a big deal. I was kind of a you know a fanboy at the same time that I was writing stuff, mm-hmm. but it was it was just a, a great experience. Walter was a great mentor, and uh, very determined to put out something that players could use, would like, and would be accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't just want to produce something that was a nice piece of writing, but really what wasn't game uh, friendly or, or usable. He wanted all of it, you know, to, to be something that the players could go into and say, Oh yeah, I can work with this NPC or I'm going to throw this adventure hook at the the players next time or whatever. So Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, a lot of pride went into it. Do you remember about how long it took you guys to, to write it? It was almost three months working after work for a few hours and then, you know, part of the weekend and then doing our own little thing on that on Sundays where we, you know, come up with stuff and then share it out when we got back together. But, yeah, it was uh, very intensive, almost a labor of love, if you will. And um, we finished it around the holidays. It was like we started like. I want to say mid-August, and we finished early November. And mm-hmm. um, we were late, and they were giving us a lot of grief about it. <laughs> and we were telling them, look, we had a lot of obstacles and changes, and all your editors wanted something different. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do you remember when you were talking to Walter, like how he got started with TSR? Well, he got started through the RPGA and mm-hmm. he, you know, he went to Gen Con every year pretty much. And Walter was a very friendly, social, disarming guy. And yeah, so he got to know a lot of people in the game industry because he loved games, loved playing them, wanted to write more for him. So not just TSR, like he introduced me to the guys at Task Force Games. We all had sushi one night, but he was especially pretty close with Jean Rabe when she mm-hmm. was the head of the RPGA. Mm-hmm. And so he would talk with her regularly. And then Tim Powers and, and Troy, he knew Troy pretty well. So he had this little network of friends that were TSR insiders mm-hmm. and TSR at the time wasn't a real organized game publishing company where they would like contract out people and pick the ones they wanted. 
a lot of their materials began as local convention tournaments. Mm-hmm. Night Watch on the Living City was originally run at, at uh, Genghis Khan in Denver. His Treasures of Greyhawk, The Well of All Heels, was one of the local adventures. So generally, a lot of the stuff that ended up being published by TSR was stuff that first was done on a local or regional scene, and then after it went through the convention circuit and they realized, wow, this is really popular and it ties in with this product we're doing or it's a living city adventure, they would pick it up and say, we want to publish it. Mm -hmm. Here's a little trivia for you. Night Watch on the Living City was the first adventure ever to get a five-star review from Ken Ralston in Dragon Magazine. <laughs> Walter awesome. was very proud of that. He, he wasn't a very cocky or conceited individual. He was a very talented man, but he didn't talk about his work a lot. But when he got that review, oh, my God, he was so happy, and he was all giddy about it. He had to show me and tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice it was pretty funny yeah Walter was great he uh in the last Dark Sun game of mine that he played in he played a character named Andor Andor was a uh a halfling druid and uh he's a great character I love the way he played the halfling and he is going to and Andor is going to be in all of my Dark Sun games now as a as a tribute to Walter I'll definitely be included including him and i was thinking about kind of doing a write-up it was he did him for fourth edition but i might mm-hmm. if i i don't think i have him as, in a fourth edition version but i might recreate him as a fifth edition version and and put what background i have for him up for so for people to see but yeah walter walter was a great guy i loved having him over for game nights he uh you know he knew my wife had uh, kind of food issues so he made sure that all the food he brought she could have or anybody could have if, if anybody else had any other food issues, he made sure to, to have food for them too. So he was always a really, really great guy, great guest, and just a fun person to be around. I, he was, you know, definitely will be missed. Yeah. Anybody who knew him knows that um, he was not just another guy. He really was the kind of person that you remember your whole life after you've, even if you just spent a day or two with him, you remember him because he had such a, a presence about him and was such a genuine, authentic person that it was very refreshing in the world we live in today. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Gary, thank you. Thank you for being on. Is there anywhere that uh, people can find you online or if you don't want to be found online, that's right. You could just say, no, thank you. <laughs> I- I don't have like an author page or anything like that. I do have an entry in uh, RPG Geek as a game designer. If mm-hmm. they want to see, you know, where my polyedron articles were or what else I worked on, there's a little mm-hmm. list in there. But I tend to keep a pretty low profile. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on, Gary. Really appreciate it. I uh, really appreciate your, your friendship over the years and, uh, you know, I just appreciate you being on to be able to talk about Walter and about the, your involvement in the City City Tier. Thanks. It was fun. So I'm Robert Aducci, and uh, this is Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. This episode was about uh, City City Tier and Walter Bass. If you want to find me on the internet, you can find me at Radu76 on Twitter. You can email me, 
radu at athis.org. You can check out the athis.org website. You can find me on Facebook at the Dark Sun uh, in the Dark Sun group. And you can find me on Patreon if you want to play in some Dark Sun games. The Dark Sun game, I just started a City City tier game, and we've got enough people that we're going to start a second group. And so we're going to kind of try to make it a little bit like a, a West Marches style where people can sign up and, you know, could be different groups uh, each week or each time we play. So if you're interested in that kind of game, come check it out. It's 5th edition D&D. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash Robert Aducci. Again, thank you guys for listening. And this is the uh, Bone Stone and Obsidian podcast signing out. Have a good night. Stone and Obsidian is hosted by the Misdirected Mark Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs.